You're listening to a sermon series by Grace City Church, a church plant in Green Square in Sydney. For more information about us, visit gracecity.com.au. G'day, I'm Charles, one of the pastors here. Uh, I want to add my welcome to you. It's fantastic to be together. Uh, We're looking at a passage today that's actually really close to my heart. Uh, Growing up as a teenager, I was in youth group, uh, and every year we would spend one term learning a memory verse. But instead of learning a different verse every year, we learnt the same verse for one term every single year. Uh, That verse is Philippians 4, 6-7, about not being anxious and the peace of God. Uh, So it's seared into my memory. Like, I could not forget it if I tried. Um, So it's a massive blessing for me to be able to share this verse with you uh, today. But before we jump in, would you pray with me? We'll ask for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word, that you reveal yourself to us in it. Uh, please speak to us today, uh, be at work in us by your Spirit. Uh, Father, you know what each of us needs to hear today, uh, whether it's a firm rebuke or a tender word of peace. Uh, whatever it is, Lord, give us a softness of heart to receive it in faith. Uh, we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today there's really one big thing that I think God is saying to us in this passage, and it's this. Our emotional lives are part of our ongoing discipleship and maturity in Jesus. Part of being a mature disciple in Jesus is paying attention to our emotional lives. Uh, And the reason I say that is because in this passage, there are two commands to feel things. Uh, One positive, uh, one's negative. You can see the first one in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And notice that this is a command. Paul doesn't just hope that the Philippians will rejoice. He actually gives them an imperative, a command to rejoice. Uh, Notice he repeats it twice. He says, rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. And not just sometimes, but always. That's the positive command. Uh, Here's the negative one. Do not be anxious about anything. Have you noticed how strange it is that Paul would actually command, encourage the Philippians to feel something? Um, I can imagine for most of us, um, things like joy uh, or feeling anxious... They aren't really things that we have control over. We just kind of feel them. um, And there's not much we can do about it. See, when it comes to our emotional lives, I think there's perhaps two ways that we could think about it. Um, The first way sees our emotions as something we don't really have any control over. Um, They just kind of happen to us. uh, Kind of like the currents in the ocean. You can't change the ocean's currents. You just kind of have to go with them. Uh, Sometimes you get caught in a rip. Uh, It's a very passive view of our emotions. But what we do have control over is our minds and our thoughts. And it's the job of our mind to be in control and to make rational decisions. But as the authors of one book point out, this way of thinking about emotions is actually far more reflective of ancient pagan philosophy than what the Bible says. Um, This is how they put it. A lot of commonly accepted truisms about emotions actually have pagan roots instead of a biblical foundation. 
Plato and the Stoics, not Scripture, promoted the idea that the uh, emotions are unruly, irrational, the enemy of virtue and the weakest part of us. These philosophers believe that the mind and will are vastly superior and should rule over the emotions. Uh, Even some of the wisdom that gets passed around in Christian circles owes more to Stoic philosophy than biblical theology. So if that first way of thinking about emotions isn't biblical, then what is the biblical way? Well, when it comes to the Bible, we actually get a far more integrated picture of us as humans. Um, We're people with thoughts and emotions and bodies, and all of these things are just massively intertwined and affect each other. Uh, It's interesting when you go through the Bible, um, it actually speaks about how we think with our heart and we feel with our mind. In other words, what we feel affects what we think. And our bodies affect how we think, which affects how we feel. They're all intertwined and affect each other probably more than we'd really like. Um, Why does this matter? Because if we want to grow to maturity in Jesus, we can't just pay attention to our beliefs and the things we think. And we can't just pay attention to our actions and the things we do. We also need to pay attention to our emotional lives and the things we feel. Um, Have a listen to what Pastor Brian Borgman says about this. Why is it that people who attend good Bible-teaching churches with sound doctrine often fail to progress in the Christian life, even though well-taught? I propose that one of the reasons is that we do not have a biblical understanding of emotions, and therefore there, there is little or no biblical handling of the emotions. See, the biblical picture of emotions isn't the picture of an ocean current that we don't have any control over. Um, The biblical picture is more like a shepherd who guides and directs his sheep. Um, Now, he can't control the sheep, but he can guide and direct them. Um, I think that's what this passage is about in Philippians. Paul urges the Philippians, and therefore us, to guide and shepherd our emotional lives towards rejoicing and away from being anxious. That means more than simply being in tune with our emotions and expressing them to God. Uh, What Paul says here is actually far more active. In a sense, we need to bring our emotional lives under the lordship of Jesus uh, to let the gospel transform and shape the things we feel. And it's really uh, that second command that I want us to focus in on today about not being anxious. Uh, The reason why is because I think that's really where the guts of the passage are. Uh, One way of thinking about anxiety is as a discontentment with uncertainty. A discontentment with uncertainty, whether that's with the future or just unknowns. Uh, That's not everything there is to say about anxiety But as we'll see, I think it gives us a helpful handle on what's going on uh, with anxiety and worry. And as we'll see, the answer to anxiety is peace. Peace. Peace is the alternative to anxiety. Paul mentions it twice there in our passage. Uh, My prayer for us um, has been, it is, that we wouldn't be a worrisome church, but that we'd be a peace-filled one. But it's also at this point that we need to acknowledge that for many of us, 
Anxiety is a deeply painful and complex experience. Uh, Beyond Blue is an Australian organisation. It says this about anxiety. Anxiety is the most common mental health condition in Australia. On average, one in four people, one in three women and one in five men, will experience anxiety at some stage in their life. Uh, In a 12-month period, over two million Australians experience anxiety. I am very aware that I just can't say everything that there is to say about anxiety. Um, There was a much longer version of this sermon. Um, You'd be thankful that it's now a little shorter. Um, I can't say everything. For that reason, I want to point you in the direction of two helpful resources. Uh, The first is this little book. Uh, It's by Paul Grimmond. It's called When the Noise Won't Stop. Uh, Paul was one of my lecturers at college Uh, And he has personally struggled with anxiety throughout his life. Um, I've read the book. Um, I highly recommend it. Uh, We will have some copies for sale um, at a discount out near the info desk after uh, today. Uh, In addition to that book, I actually had the opportunity to sit down and record a conversation with Paul. Um, Talk for about half an hour. We're going to release that conversation online this week uh, just to help us continue the conversation as a church family. So let me recommend those resources to you, especially if anxiety is something you struggle with uh, personally. Uh, But I will just say a couple of things briefly. Uh, The first thing to say is that it's important to remember that this passage in Philippians isn't directly about what we call anxiety as a mental health issue. And the danger here is that we actually bring a whole load of assumptions and questions about anxiety that Paul isn't really addressing in this passage. But on the flip side, we also don't want to say that this passage has nothing to say to those who experience anxiety. And this passage isn't irrelevant to you um, if you struggle with anxiety. Uh, God has wonderful things to say in this passage. Uh, What Paul is doing in this passage is speaking about the common human experience of anxiety that we all will feel, but that some people feel more acutely and in more complex ways than others. Which means this passage has something to say to all of us, uh, wherever we're at, but how we apply this passage might play out differently for some of us. Having said that, it's also important to hear what Paul says in this passage with the right tone of voice. Um, you know, when you read the Bible, you always read it with a, like a voice in your head, yeah? Um, in his book, um, Paul Grimman, he says that people who struggle with anxiety, they often read this command about not being anxious as if Paul had written it in all caps letters. Do not be anxious! Um, with an exclamation mark. Um, when you read that verse in that tone of voice... It has the potential to leave us feeling guilty and full of shame, as if I'm not trusting God, as if I'm not being obedient, although I'd actually do anything to take away my anxiety. Um, If that's you, listen to what Paul Grimman says about this verse. When we read, do not be anxious about anything, we are not to read it, hearing the voice of the schoolmaster standing over us with an itching desire to wield the cane, but rather hearing all of the gentleness of a mother sitting with her child who has been woken by a nightmare. Uh, my um, my five-year-old daughter, Poppy, um, she often wakes up with nightmares. When I go in to comfort her, my goal isn't that she would feel guilty 
for feeling so worried, for waking me up at 3 a.m. Um, <laughs> my goal is that she would be comforted knowing that her daddy's standing there with her. The only other thing I want to say is that gentleness is one of the greatest gifts we can give somebody who struggles with anxiety. Uh, did you notice what Paul said right before the command not to be anxious? Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Um, here, I just want to share a quote from a 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon. So Charles Spurgeon, he lived before the development of modern psychology, but he struggled with what we know is depression and anxiety. Um, in a sermon, he says this. It's a little bit long, but I think it's super helpful. Um, he says... I've heard some say, rather unkindly, Sister so-and-so is so nervous we can hardly speak in her presence. Yes, but talking like that will not help her. There are many persons who have had this trying kind of nervousness greatly aggravated by the unkindness or thoughtlessness of friends. It is a real disease. It is not imaginary. Imagination no doubt contributes to it and increases it, but still there is a reality about it. There are some forms of physical disorder in which a person lying in bed feels great pain though another uh, through another person simply walking across the room. Oh, you will say, that is mere imagination. Well, you may think so, if you like. But if you are ever in that painful condition, as I have been many a time, I will warrant that you will not talk in that fashion again. But we cannot take notice of such fancies, says one. I suppose that you would like to run a steamroller across the room just for the sake of strengthening their nerves. But if you had the Spirit of Christ, you would want to walk across the room as though your feet were flakes of snow. You would not wish to cause the poor sufferer any additional pain. I beg you, never grieve those upon whom the hand of the Lord is lying in the form of depression of spirit. But be very tender and gentle with them. You need not encourage them in their sadness, but at the same time, let there be no roughness in dealing with them. They have many sore places, and the hand that touches them should be as soft as down. As Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. But with that said, I very simply want to ask three questions about this passage today. What is anxiety? How should we respond to it? And how does God respond to it? What is anxiety? How should we respond? How does God respond? Uh, God willing, as we do this, we'll discover the secret of overcoming anxiety and enjoying peace. So let's ask, what is anxiety? Because at first, it all seems pretty straightforward. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Pretty clear, don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. But that's not quite all there is to say. Here's why. If you go back two chapters to Philippians 2, uh, Paul says something really interesting. If you remember chapter 2, Paul commends a guy called Timothy. And the thing that makes Timothy such a great guy is his anxiety. Have a look with me. Philippians 2.20. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Now, that word concern there 
It's a translation of the same word that Paul uses back in our passage to say, do not be anxious. It's the same word. Can you see why that's significant? In our passage, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in another passage in the same book, he commends someone for being anxious. Now, the word does have a broad range of meanings. It's probably helpful just to say Timothy had concern. But it's still interesting that Paul uses the same word. He knows what he's doing. Which makes us wonder, is there actually a place for a positive, a godly kind of anxiety or concern? Uh, Let me give you three other quick examples of places where Paul uses this same word, anxiety, in a positive way. Uh, So 2 Corinthians 11, he says uh, in a list of his hardships, Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern, literally anxiety, for all the churches. Paul's anxiety over his Christian brothers and sisters is described as being a good thing. Uh, Or 1 Corinthians 12. God has put the body, that's us, together, that its parts should have equal concern, anxiety, for each other. Again, um, a certain kind of anxiety for one another is actually how God has designed us to be. Uh, Or one more, 1 Corinthians 7. I think it's here that we get a real insight into what's going on. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. Anxiety again, same word. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Can you see what's going on here? Paul says he wants them to be free from anxiety, which sounds pretty similar to what he's saying in Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything. But the whole point here is not that we wouldn't have any anxieties or concerns at all, but that we would be concerned about the Lord's affairs. The problem is not necessarily anxiety in and of itself, but misdirected anxiety. Now, maybe anxiety isn't the most helpful word to use, um, but it's interesting that Paul uses the same word. He could have used a different word if he wanted to, but he doesn't. Uh, What's the point? When Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, he doesn't just want us to live a stress-free life. This isn't just a Christian version of hakuna matata, um, as if zero cares, zero worries, that's the end goal. I think if we're paying close attention, we'll see that Paul wants us not to be anxious about the things of this world so that we might be anxious, concerned about the things of the Lord, the things of God. Did you notice what all those positive anxiety verses had in common? All of them spoke about anxiety as a positive thing when it was directed towards people. And in particular, how they're going with the Lord. Timothy was anxious about the Philippians and their welfare. Paul was anxious about the churches. We are all meant to be anxious about one another. Not what they think of us, but how they're going with Jesus. And all of this can be summarized as being anxious about the things of the Lord the things of God. The things we're not supposed to be anxious about are the things of this world. 
what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear, to quote Jesus. We shouldn't be anxious about our own lives. We shouldn't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about those things. And for the Philippians specifically, I think there were two main things that they might have been tempted to be anxious about. The first was money. Money. Um, Have a look at what Paul says about the Philippians in 2 Corinthians 8. He calls them the Macedonians. That's just the region where they were. So he says to the Corinthians, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, talking about the Philippians, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Did you notice that? They were facing extreme poverty, uh, which makes me wonder whether they would have been tempted to worry, to be anxious about their financial security. Maybe their generosity was actually one of the ways they fought back against their anxieties over money. They were anxious about it, so they gave it away. Uh, The other thing I suspect they might have been worried about uh, was persecution for being Christians. Uh, Remember, Philippi, it was a thoroughbred Roman city. Um, It would have been hard to be a Christian. Um, Have a look at what Paul says, chapter 1. Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Why would Paul say that? unless there was the potential that they were going to be intimidated and frightened into submission by a hostile culture around them. Um, It doesn't actually sound too far off what it looks like to be a Christian in 2022. So let me ask you, what are you anxious about? What are you concerned about? What keeps you up at night? Um, Is it financial security like maybe the Philippians or fear of a hostile world around us? Is it the things of this world? Or is it the things of God? Are you too anxious about the things of this world? Or, to put it somewhat controversially, are you actually not anxious enough about the things of God? Um, Could you actually take a leaf out of Timothy's book? That's a few reflections on what Paul means when he says, do not be anxious about anything. But that leads us to our second question today. How should we respond to it if we have anxieties? What should we do about them? Paul says it very simply in the second half of verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, what's Paul talking about? Prayer. Uh, In case you missed it, he said it three times. He said, prayer, petition, present your requests to God. Um, They're all just synonyms. Pray. Uh, It's an invitation to come and bring our concerns, our anxieties before God. Um, The Apostle Peter, he says a similar thing in 1 Peter 5. I love this. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's an invitation to come and bring our anxieties to God. But when Paul says that we should present our requests to God, I think he's talking about more than just kind of laying a quick one up to the Lord. I think it's more than that, Um, although that's never going to hurt. I think he's saying something more profound. See, anxiety is an uncomfortable emotion. Sometimes it can even feel like pain. Uh, We don't like feeling 
anxious and worried. And in those moments, we'll always be tempted to turn towards whatever will numb that pain in the quickest and easiest way. Uh, this is true for all of us, uh, where, whether we struggle with it as a kind of a more pronounced mental health issue or not. But what Paul is saying here is that we shouldn't turn towards the quickest and easiest coping methods, but that we should turn towards the Lord, turn towards our Heavenly Father. Uh, listen to what American professor Brené Brown says. The most powerful emotions that we experience have very sharp points, like the tip of the thorn. When they prick us, they cause discomfort and even pain. We know it's coming. For many of us, our first response to the vulnerability and pain of these sharp points is not to lean into the discomfort and feel our way through, but rather to make it go away. We do that by numbing and taking the edge off the pain with whatever provides the quickest relief. We can anesthetize with a whole bunch of stuff, including alcohol, drugs, food, sex, relationships, money, work, caretaking, gambling, staying busy, affairs, chaos, shopping, planning, perfectionism, constant change, and the internet. And what Brené says there is that we need to lean into the discomfort and feel our way through the pain. But I think Paul says something better. He says, lean into your heavenly Father. Cast your anxieties upon Him uh, because He cares for you. When you're feeling anxious, don't turn towards cheap and unfulfilling coping methods. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Turn towards Him, not away from Him. But I think we can actually take this one step further. Because Paul actually says something super weird, if you think about it. Did you notice he said that we should present our requests to God with thanksgiving? Um, a lot of counsellors will point out the value of thankfulness. But that's not quite what Paul says. Um, he doesn't just tell us to practice thankfulness. He actually tells us to present our requests with thanksgiving, which is quite strange if you think about it. Um, how can you be thankful for something while you're still asking for it? Um, usually, I teach my kids, you say thank you after you get what you have asked for. Um, but here, Paul says, say thank you even while you're still asking. Why does he say that? I think that's the secret. You thank God before you make the request. It's a way of saying, God, whatever you do is good. And I thank you for it. If I ask for something at the wrong time and you don't give it to me, I thank you for it. Because your timing is better than mine. Um, if I ask for something and you give me the opposite, I might not be happy about it but I thank you for it because I trust in your wisdom, not mine. Can you see it's actually a way of handing over control of our lives, entrusting ourselves to our Heavenly Father, um, to His will for our lives. We're told to ask God for whatever's worrying us. Ask! But at the same time, there's a contentment with what He wills. There's a relationship between anxiety, uncertainty and control. Anxiety thrives off uncertainty, which leads to a desire to control, uh, all in an effort to gain certainty. Um, listen to what Paul Grimman says. He says, Anxiety thrives on uncertainty. 
And so one way of controlling anxiety is to achieve certainty. Unfortunately, certainty is very difficult to achieve because we are human. There are lots of things we don't know. There are lots of whys that we can't answer. But the answer isn't just to let go of all control. It's to hand over control to our Heavenly Father. And that's what we're doing when we say thank you, even while we're still asking. Can you see there's a difference between letting go into chaos and letting go into our Father's arms? Um, A couple of weeks ago, I was down at the park with my two daughters, um, Poppy and Neve, and there was another member of our extended family who will remain nameless. Um, You'll see why. And this family member was spinning Neve on the merry-go-round and going faster and faster and faster, until, of course, Neve decided that it was too fast and she wanted to get off. And so what do you think she did? You can imagine. Uh, She tried to get off while it was spinning. She slipped and she smacked her face on the edge as she fell to the ground. That is not what it means to let go of control when it comes to God. It's more like letting go and jumping into your father's arms. That's what this is. That's what Paul means when he says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's what it means for us to respond to anxiety. Turn towards God, not away from Him, and hand over control by thanking Him even while you're still asking, resting in His sovereign will for your life. But that leads us to the third and final question. How does God respond to our anxiety? And I think we see it very simply in verse 7. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the great promise of this passage. Peace. It might surprise you to know that this is actually the only occurrence of that phrase, the peace of God, in the entire New Testament. This is the only time you'll find it. Which I think tells us that this is a very special promise for those who are weighed down with anxiety. But there's actually another little detail I want to draw your attention to. It's the idea that this peace will guard us. See, you guard something when you expect that it will be attacked. It implies some kind of danger or threat. See, before becoming a Christian, the Bible says that you really only have one enemy, God. That's what we call sin. We have made ourselves enemies of God. We've rejected his rule over our lives. But God is a very particular kind of enemy because he loves his enemies. And he's actually died in the person of Jesus to make them his friends. But what we don't often say is that when you become a Christian, you actually gain a whole new set of enemies. That's why our hearts and minds need guarding. And those enemies are the world, the flesh, And the devil, the world is what's out there, the flesh is the sin in here, and the devil is the chief spiritual force of evil. And all three are out to attack us. And one of the attacks they love to launch is anxiety. But when God stops being your enemy, he doesn't just become your friend, he becomes your fortress. He becomes your peace. Can you see how having peace with God actually leads to having the peace of God. He is your fortress. But we also need to recognize that this peace isn't just some kind of magical force field that just descends upon us when we become a Christian. 
Uh, we actually need to clothe ourselves with the peace of God. Um, we actually need to do that. And the key way we do that is by actually preaching the gospel to ourselves. It's a kind of self-talk because spiritual warfare is really a war of words. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a medical doctor. He was a preacher in the 20th century. And he wrote a book about depression and anxiety. Uh, he calls it spiritual depression. And he says this, I suggest that the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourself to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. Am I just trying to be paradoxical? Far from it. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, and defy other people, and defy the devil and the whole world, and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. That's Psalm 42.5. But just before I close, I think it's important to say that having the peace of God doesn't necessarily mean that we won't struggle with anxiety. It'd be easy for us to assume that if I have the peace of God, then I won't struggle with anxiety. But that's not exactly what Paul says. He simply says that if we turn towards God and hand control over to him in thankful prayer, then he will guard our hearts and minds which isn't quite the same thing as saying that we won't struggle with anxiety. Uh, to explain this a little more, I want to take you to another passage over in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul talks about having a thorn in the flesh. We think it was some kind of physical condition. We don't know. Uh, but listen to what he says. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We don't know exactly what this thorn in the flesh was, but notice that Paul asked God to take it away three times. But what Paul needed to learn was that God's power isn't made perfect when he takes away the things that make us weak. God's power is made perfect in our weakness because his grace is sufficient. God doesn't promise to take away all the things that make us feel weak, but he promises that his grace is sufficient in our weakness, whatever that may be. But notice as well, God doesn't just promise to give us grace and peace and power. He actually promises us that he will give himself. Did you notice, I love this, end of our passage in Philippians 4, Paul actually flips the peace of God and he says this, the God of peace will be with you. God actually promises to enter into our weakness. And he does that ultimately in the person of Jesus, who before he died at the cross, he felt such anguish that his sweat was like drops of blood. 
so that we could have peace with God and the peace of God so that we could have the God of peace. So just as I close, let me encourage you to take up gardening. I'll explain what I mean. Um, Come with me. Jesus says, Matthew 13, parable of the four soils. He says this, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries, anxieties, it's our same word, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. At Grace City, the anxieties of this life, life are like thorns. They have the potential to choke the word of God in your life. So take up gardening. Prune those thorns. Don't be anxious about anything. And if you happen to get a thorn in the flesh, then the grace of God will be sufficient for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your sovereign will and rule over our lives. Father, we pray that we would not be anxious about anything. Make us that kind of church. We pray that we would entrust ourselves to you. Uh, Teach us to be gentle with our brothers and sisters who struggle with anxiety. Uh, For those of us who battle anxious thoughts, we pray for peace. We pray for for peace, grace and power. Uh, In the name of Jesus. Amen.